0: We are tremendously blessed in this fellowship. The congregation has been ministering to each other the whole time we've been here. The Spirit of the Lord's already been speaking. The Spirit of the Lord's already been ministering. As we was going through the service, I was thinking about a scripture in 1 Corinthians that talks about every believer has a psalm, every believer has a teaching, every believer has something to contribute to the body of Christ, and when every member is contributing, every uh, member is an active contributor in the body of Christ, Uh, it tells us in that section of Scripture, that's when people get saved. And I want to pray right now, if there's anybody present here that's not saved, that this will be the day of their salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a glorious reality to worship together, to sing together, to testify together. And as Bob so, so well put, Lord, it's not a testimony of how well we've done something. It's a testimony of your, your grace every step of the way. In the midst of our infirmities, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our stumbling and bumbling alone. We thank you, God, that you're the God of all grace. And if there's anybody that needs to respond to your grace today, if there's anybody here that's been thinking, I'm going to try to get it together. I'm going to try to make myself presentable to God. One of these days when I've got it all together, I can approach God. I pray you'd help them to say, God, they got to, Die right now to anything self could ever do and realize they are in desperate need of your son's life, desperate need of his grace. Lord, you don't go to the doctor when you're well. You go to the doctor when you're sick. And if anybody will just admit that today and say, I'm a sinner. I need the great physician to heal me of the sin, disease of my soul. Lord, if anybody needs to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, I pray they do it today. In his name, amen. Now, as I talk about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I'm so excited about getting into John 14, 15, 16, and 17. I don't know how long it's going to take me to go through these chapters. It's, uh, these are so wonderful chapters. And in the midst of it, Uh, The Lord makes this promise, and I've been meditating on it all week. It's not related to my sermon at all. But because there's so much emphasis thus far on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to mention this. In John 16, Jesus said, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and what will happen? You shall receive, that your joy and my joy can be full. Now, I'd like to just encourage you, uh, we always kind of know when we pray at the end of our prayer to pray in Jesus' name. It's kind of like an accepted thing we all understand as believers. But I'd like to encourage you to pray with faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that his name stands for. Don't just tack something on at the end of the prayer. Amen. All through the prayer, pray in the power of his name. Because the Lord said, if you pray in my name, I will respond to what you're praying about in marvelous ways. The Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. What do the righteous do when they get got adversity? They run to what? Run to the name of the Lord. I just want to give a little admonition here about the power of our Lord Jesus Christ's name. And I, I include with that the power of His blood. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of His redemptive atoning blood. Put those two together. With faith. I'm not just saying say it because the pastor said it. I'm saying pray it in faith and believe it. Amen? That God would put a hedge of protection around us. In the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that said, I'm getting ready to preach on heaven. That's wonderful, isn't it? These words, these first words of John 14. Let not your heart be what? What? Let not your heart be troubled. Now, if we did a survey and we we begin to ask people, do you believe we live in a troubled world? What kind of answer do you think we would get? I think by far, unless somebody's just kind of like out there in la-la land, you know, by far, if you're honest, you'd say, yeah, we live in a troubled world. I mean, if you listen to the news anytime, anywhere, you're going to find out we got a troubled world going. Amen? All you got to do is talk to your neighbor, talk to your friends, talk to the people around you, and find out you got a troubled world going. Furthermore, if I were to do a survey and ask, has there ever been a time in your life that you've dealt, had issues with a troubled heart? How many people have issues with a troubled heart? I would have to say that. Uh, this is one of those universal uh, realities of life. It reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians ten, thirteen. 13. There has no temptation taken you. If, it, if one person has had a troubled heart, what does that mean? That means that every person has had a troubled heart. And all through our life, we're facing the uh, great immensity of trouble. The trouble that the Lord's talking about here is not minor. When you read these chapters, as we get into these chapters, he's he's going to say later in these chapters, men are going to put you to death, and by putting you to death, think they are pleasing God. Now, that's big-time trouble. That's big-time trouble. We're not talking about minor trouble. The Lord said at the end of John uh, 16, I believe it is, the, all of the, uh, he spends four chapters here explaining how not to have a troubled heart. It's not just a few verses. That's why I'm looking forward to it. But in uh, John 16, he said, Guaranteed in the world you will have what? Guaranteed. That's why I don't, I don't get too befuddled about the coming tribulation. I don't get too messed up with that. Because the Lord says, as long as you're in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He says, even now you are facing Antichrist. Amen? It's not a matter of what's going to happen one day. It's a matter of what's happening today. And I guarantee you, our Lord Jesus Christ is the spiritual overseer, the spiritual protector, the spiritual provider in the midst of raging storms, raging trouble. And I guarantee you that you're not going to have this peace in your life as if the trouble goes away. Is there always going to be something? There's always going to be something behind the something that you could be troubled about. This is a lifetime pilgrimage battle as soldiers of Jesus Christ to know how to have an untroubled heart. And it's like somebody saying... This morning, I found an answer for cancer, and nobody's going to have to have cancer anymore. I tell you, that'd get a lot of people's attention. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I've got an answer for a troubled heart. That ought to get everybody's attention. Amen? Now, you ever hear that song, Just a Little Talk with Jesus Makes It Right? (laughs) I haven't sung that for a long time. But the first thing that's needed for a troubled heart is a talk with the Lord. Judas has been dismissed since the latter part of John 13. Judas is not in this audience now. And the Lord is giving this instruction to his family. He's giving this instruction to the people of God, the saints of God, those who are truly saved. Those who are truly born again. Those who truly are his disciples. He didn't give this until Judas was absent. We're talking about fatherly care of a perfect father who knows what we need and how to meet the need. The first thing the Lord talks about here is, in my father's house. Right? We're talking about paternal Fatherly care. We're talking about pastoral care. We're talking about the great shepherd of the sheep. One of the things that's bothering these apostles the most is that Jesus says he's leaving, and they can't go with him. Now think about it. Every, for the last three years of their life, whenever they had terrible, hard, difficult, challenging, painful situations, situations with legions of demons and all the rest of it, situations on the Sea of Galilee when not only was the boat in the water, but the water was in the boat, and they had to say to the Lord, they didn't have to say it, but they did say, Lord, don't you care that we perish? These men of God had been with Jesus long enough to know that when hardship come, adversities come, problems come, pain comes, suffering comes, Hard cases come. He always knew what to do with it. Amen? I tell you, our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now this is a rhema. A rhema is when God gives you a word for your situation. Uh, There's something in His word... That applies to your situation and it gives you the encouragement you need, the hope you need, the stamina you need, the faith you need, the courage and so forth. It's when God's word comes alive in your situation for your need, for your problem. This is a rhema from from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a rhema for his apostles. As far as what they're presently facing, what they're presently facing is immense. Just take Peter. Peter. Just take Peter and the last part of 13, if you look at the last part of 13, the whole context here, Peter had said, and by the way, not only do we need a heart-to-heart talk with the Lord, if we're going to get an untroubled heart, we have got to have a heart-to-heart, heart-to-heart fatherly talk with the Lord to get our heart unburdened. But secondly, we've got to understand that the Lord knows our trouble better than we know it ourselves. We think we know our troubles, but he knows it better than we know it. Peter thought he knew himself, but the, Peter knew, uh, the Lord knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Because Peter said, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. Now, I want to just compare this to Luke uh, 22, I think it is. I want to just, I'm trying to show how intense the trouble is. And I'm trying, what I'm trying to show here is not just for Peter, but for the, few, the early church and what the early church needed and what we need today. This is a rhema from, from God for every generation. Let not your heart be troubled. It's a rhema from God. The first thing the Lord said about Peter, have you ever called your child by their middle name? Now, whenever you use their middle name, usually, at least it's been my experience, there's something pretty intense going on. You know, otherwise you wouldn't use their middle name. When the Lord talks to, uh, to Peter about his trouble that's coming, that the Lord knows better about the trouble that's coming than he does, he doesn't just say his name once. He says his name twice. And you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say... If there's anybody who understands the intensity of your troubles, the Lord does. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows, right? And what else? Acquainted with grief. If there's anybody that understands our trouble and a troubled heart, That's why it says he was in all points, he was in all points tempted like as we are. He's a great high priest who can sympathize with what? All of our infirmities, all of our challenges, all of our pressures, all of our problems. And I want to say something about being stoic here. I I try to find a good definition for stoic. I'm not sure i got a good handle on it yet, but the whole idea of being stoic is You try to deny your feelings or hide your feelings or cover up your feelings and try to be spiritual. You know, as if I'm not having pain, I'm not having anguish, I'm not having trouble, I'm going to be spiritual. Listen, this one who said, let not your heart be troubled. Three times in the Gospel of John, just prior to these words from him, The Lord himself, it tells us that he was troubled. Amen? You would think they would hide the Lord having a troubled heart. But that's one way you know the Bible is the word of God. The Bible doesn't cover up what's going on. It's not unspiritual to feel the heartache and feel the pain and feel the anguish and feel the struggle of it and the anguish of it. That is not being unspiritual. To the degree that you understand the anguish of what's going on, to the same degree you'll be able to understand the multiplied grace of God in the midst of what's going on. And to me it's like a palm tree. And uh, the Bible says that we're like a palm tree. As believers. Now, when a palm tree has the wind blowing against it, the palm tree doesn't say, I refuse to bend. I refuse to let my tree reveal that this is bending me. Now, I'm making this up, of course, but I'm trying to say there needs to be honesty because the palm tree does bend, the pressure is great. The adversity is great. And it does bend. But the Bible says the righteous are like a palm tree. They flourish. The righteous flourish like what? A palm tree. Why? Because by the grace of God, we're in the midst of bending in the adversities of life. But praise be to God, we don't break. Amen. God sustains us. I love that song we sung on my bark so small and frail. Every one of us feels that way. Every one of us feels like, man, I just there's no way I can stand this. There's no way I can go through this. There's no way I can get through this. Unless it's the grace of God. Unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ's life. So here was Peter, and, and the Lord uh, told him how intense the trouble was going to be that was coming. And then the Lord had discernment about the dynamic. And if you're going to get free from a troubled heart and have rest and quietness and stillness, uh, you've got to understand that the Lord knows the dynamics better than you do about what's going on. We, We have such a narrow understanding of what we are seeing about what's going on. He's got something big he's looking at here's what the Lord said. He said to Peter, Satan has desired to what? Have you and sift you. He's saying, Peter, this is not just a trouble that you're having that's happening naturally. This is a trouble you're having because of the prince, enemy of your soul is working against you. You know the Bible says, "Be sober." First Peter chapter five. Be sober in your mind. Be vigilant in your spiritual discernment, because the devil is like what kind of an animal? Now he's speaking to believers in First Peter five. He's speaking to believers. He's not speaking to uh, unsaved people. He's talking about this roaring lion after believers. He said, the devil is like a roaring lion. Now, the thing about a roaring lion is you don't want to run from the roar. You don't want to run from the roar. You want to run towards the roar. Because it's kind of like a real small puny little dog barking at you. And you know he can't, uh, you're bigger than him, you know. He's barking at you, but he can't hurt you. When the devil roars, listen, our Lord Jesus Christ has taken all the venom out of his roar. The Lord Jesus Christ has already defeated him. The, in Colossians it says he stripped away from the principalities and powers their authority to continue to work because the blood atonement of Jesus Christ has set us free from the condemnation of the devil, the accusation of the devil, and the devil still being able to have a grip over us. But I want to tell you something. None of us are big enough for the devil. That's why the next thing the Lord said was, and we need to be so thankful for this, the next thing the Lord said to Peter about his trouble, he says, I have prayed for you. Amen. I tell you, you've got the Lord Jesus Christ praying for you. Guaranteed results. And it wasn't just that he was praying for Peter. In Hebrews, it tells us in Hebrews that the Lord Jesus Christ ever lives in his resurrected state. He ever lives. And what's he doing in his ever living resurrected state? He ever lives to do what? Make intercession for for us. Now, when the Lord is doing the praying for us, and when the Lord has won the victory for us, the results are going to be guaranteed. One of the things that uh, really helps me here, when he's talking about heaven, and he's talking about these 11 men, let's look at this together in John 14. Let me ask you a question. If the Lord Jesus Christ has taken care of my eternal destiny, and my eternal destiny is absolutely certain, absolutely sure, absolutely a reality that I have everlasting life. If he's taking care of my eternity, can he take care of me temporally? That's why I think the Lord starts talking about heaven here. The very first thing he starts talking about when he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, look, if I've got you covered for all eternity. And you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that these men he's talking to about heaven are not on probation, whether they're going to make it or, or not to heaven. When he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself. Who's going to make sure that these 11 men get there? The Lord's not going to lose any of them. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to know. And know that you know that you know that you know that you have heaven already in Jesus Christ. Amen? I love that song. It says, heaven came down. Listen, heaven's still coming down. The first thing, what I'm trying to say now is, we're not just waiting for heaven we have an opportunity on earth to experience some, something of a taste of heaven already. Now, one of the, the reason I say that is because the first thing it tells, the first, does anybody remember how many verily, verily statements there are in the Gospel of John? 25. The first one, the Lord Jesus says, you're going to see the heaven, and what condition is the heaven going to be in? It's going to be an open heaven. I tell you, that's something worth meditating on. That's something worth digesting. That through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the heaven has been opened, and He says, "You're going to see the angels of God ascending and what else? Descending." Descending. Has the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible for His believers who are truly, who truly know Him? To be able to experience something of what's going on in the heavenly places already. We're not just waiting to experience it. We can experience it right now. You say, how do you know that for sure? Well, it was mentioned last Sunday or Sunday before last in our testimony time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Who has blessed us with how many blessings? Woo. Full coverage. Full coverage, man. You don't have to read the fine print. I, it says the same thing about the Word of God. Uh, uh, the Word of God is... Um, uh, which one I'm looking for here? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God will have about 20% of what he needs. At the man of God, I have about 50% of what he needs. At the man of God, I have about 80% of what he needs. It says the man of God will be thoroughly, adequately, sufficiently furnished to every need of his life through the Word of God. And that's why Jesus said, if it were not so, I tell you, the veracity of the Word of God, the veracity of the Lord Jesus Christ's words, I tell you, it's absolutely dependable. The Lord's saying, if what, whatever you need, I will make sure I tell it to you. Amen? And God made sure it was in His Word. His written Word. So, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. And where are those blessings? Heavenly places. And so, as we understand our inheritance in Jesus Christ and the heavenly places, we can already experience something of that Here on earth, we already have an inheritance in him. Amen. You know, in Ephesians, it says that we need our eyes open to understand the hope of our calling and the riches, the riches of what? The riches of our inheritance. It's already ours. Now, that takes that leads me to the one of the most important words is the first word. Does everybody see the first word? In the King James, the first word is L-E-T. I have come to, um, in my life, park on that word and not pass quickly by it. For instance, uh, in Colossians, it says, we talking about peace in here, John 14. Later on, Jesus says, when he says, let not your heart be troubled. My peace I give unto you, right? Later on in chapter 14, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. He's going to say the same thing later on. But in Colossians, when it talks about the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, let the peace of Christ reign. Let the peace of Christ rule. When, when, he, when, the, when the God uses that word let in his word, it's something that's already been provided. It's something that's already been given. It's something that's already ours. And it's not a matter of being worthy of it. It's not a matter of attaining it. It's not a matter of somehow trying to get it. It's ours because we are sons of God. In Romans 8 it says we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why he says, my peace. My peace. What do I do? I give it to you. Now, the word let, I want to spend some time on it because I, practically speaking, how do, how, how, do, how do we experience what is ours in Jesus Christ? One thing for sure guaranteed, the devil doesn't want us to experience it. Amen? Amen? And if we don't stand upon the word of God by faith, we'll never be able to experience it. This is a spiritual battle. Uh, Let's use the armor of God. Has God provided armor for every believer in the battle of life? Has God already provided armor for every believer? The answer is obviously yes. Most of us know what it is. Helmet of salvation, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace. Right? God's provided the armor, but I want to ask you a question. Does God put the armor on for us? It's provided. Now, it says in that chapter, it says, put it on. We have a responsibility under God to, uh, you can use whatever word you want, appropriate what is ours, reckon to be true what is ours. I think one of the biggest battles we face in life is God's word is reality, and if we don't believe God's word, we live in fantasy. Now, is it a reality, for instance, and I'm please, I'm not trying to minimize the pain and the heartache and the suffering of the fiery darts of the devil, but when it talks about the army of, armor of God, it says that the devil will shoot fiery darts at believers. Right? And it says if we have our shield of faith in place, what does God promise we'll be able to do with those darts? How many of them will be able to quench every fiery dart of the enemy with, without any qualification without any exception. But you got to have the, the, the shield of faith in one hand, and you also got to have what? Sword of the Spirit in the other hand. I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do with the shield of faith if I not, don't have the sword operating, if I'm not reckoning the sword to be true. Amen? Because when the devil came against the Lord Jesus Christ, all three times... The Lord responded, It is written. And we need to be able to do that. How do we cast down imaginations? How do we cast down the lies of the devil? Which most of his fiery darts are just lies. Amen? Most of his fiery darts are just lies. But if you believe the scripture and you reckon the truth of reality of what God says, God says you can quench every fiery dart. And I like to think of it this way. I pray this way. Lord, not only would every fiery dart be quenched, but would you turn every fiery dart into a fiery blessing? Would it just cause it to backfire? So that instead of there being anything set back, may your kingdom move forward more powerfully. May people get saved as a result of these fiery darts and everything he's trying to do. The Lord said to Peter, Satan has desired to have you and sift you as wheat. And I've had enough scripture already here to let us all know every one of us has an intense battle with the the heavenly realm. The Bible clearly says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But we wrestle against these principalities and powers. That's why it's so important, as I started this message, to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his redemptive, atoning blood. Because we overcome this great dragon, the devil. How do we overcome this great dragon? The very first thing it tells us in Revelation is by the blood of the Lamb, praying on the basis of the blood. Coming to God on the basis of the blood. And by the way, the Lord says it's essential for you that I go away. It's essential, essential for you that my redemptive work be applied in the heavenly places. In Hebrews, it talks about the blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat of heaven. Amen. That's why the Lord, he says it's essential for you to go away. Because if the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat of heaven, that's going to give liberty now to the workings of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a great dispensational, cataclysmic shift in the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God is going to indwell every believer. The body will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I, mean, I can't wait to get to it. He talks about what the Holy Spirit's going to do in believers' lives. He says the Holy Spirit will lead every believer into how much of the truth? Wow. Man, that's, that's, that's precious. Not a matter of your intellect. Not a matter of did your preacher have a good week and did he have a good sermon. Amen. Who's going to lead you into all the truth? Holy Spirit. It's guaranteed. It's absolutely guaranteed. And he goes into great detail. As a matter of fact, he says, I will not leave you like an orphan. I'm going away. But if you want to get a, a restful heart and a peaceful heart, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, what I'm setting up here is something far greater and far more wonderful. Not only will I be with you, I will be in you. Amen? The Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within. Listen, how many of you have ever had computer problems? What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, I always picture this by having computer problems and me trying to figure out my computer problems. And then you got this manual about that thick, you know, you're trying to, you know, where's the answer? And, you know, I've always thought, man, wouldn't it be nice to have the guy who made the computer, made the software sitting next to you? Or even better, that guy living where? In you. (laughs) I tell you, it makes a difference when the one who created it all, the one who formed it all, the one who shaped it all, the one who set it up, he knows how it's supposed to run. Amen? And he says, if any man lack wisdom ask of god and he gives to all men liberally and i love the part when it says he won't scold us because the lord is so patient with us he's so long suffering with us he could say no you haven't learned it by now you know yeah you haven't learned it by now i'm I'm done i tell you my dad used to tell me son you're hard-headed And I think God said that to me many times. He said it to me many times. I thank thank God He's a long-suffering God. Let not your heart be troubled. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that in order for us not to have a troubled heart, we've got to reckon what is true to be true based on the Word of God. It is true. But we got to reckon it to be true for me. I've got to reckon it to be true for me. The Bible says work out. doesn't say work out somebody else's salvation for them, right? You work out your... We're not talking about working for salvation. We're talking about you uh, reckoning to be true what's in the Word of God. And say, I refuse to believe the devil's lies. Amen? Because this is the truth. This is the truth. Uh, and And just a few verses right after this, Jesus is going to say, I am the way. What else am I? I am the truth. What else am I? I am the life. And so if it's contrary to what Jesus said, it's a lie. Because Jesus is the truth. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Our Father, we're just getting started here. There's a number of things I'd like to say about what heaven is like. It's so wonderful to think about heaven. It's so wonderful to think about your Son preparing a place for us. And if He's preparing a place for us for all eternity, and He said to every one of those 11 men, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. I thank you, Father. Lord Jesus didn't lose any of those men. He made sure of their heavenly home. He's making sure of what it's like in the heavenlies. He's making sure they get there. And I want to thank you that the Lord Jesus is coming back to escort us into the heavenly place. Thank you so much for the surety of eternity for the surety of eternal life. And Father, I think of that scripture, and I want to finish with this. If God spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all, that our eternal destiny would be taken care of, how much more will He freely give us everything else we need in this life? Father, if You've done the greater thing through Your Son, We thank you that you'll do the lesser thing. And I want to ask you, Father, to teach us how to understand the palm tree. May we not try to appear to be as if there's no pain involved, no hurt involved, no sorrow involved. Lord, it is painful. It is sorrowful. There is anguish. That tree does bend over. But I want to thank you, Father, it doesn't break. Because greater is Jesus Christ who lives in us than all the powers of demons and powers of principalities in the world that are against your light. Greater is Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You've got comprehensive coverage in Him. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.